Roll Tuesday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah in the Kintec studio. Always loving the start of the Stanley Cup playoffs, Sat. Have the Leafs lost yet? Uh, not yet. Not yet. Okay. We'll That's when out. you know the playoffs have begun. Uh, 4.30 puck drop for <laughs> that one uh, today. Also, uh, New Jersey and New York are starting up. In a few moments, we'll uh, dip into some of these games a little bit later on in the show. But um, night one of the Stanley Cup playoffs did not disappoint. At least the uh, the late games. Yeah. I, hey, we got some overtime action. Yep. You know, we saw the Oilers uh, fall apart, so it was uh, it was a fun <laughs> evening. <laughs> the Oilers definitely fell apart. Can't that buy was a save. A pure choke job. Uh, a yeah. good old fashioned choke job to lose a three one lead, and then uh, of course the fan base just blames it on the penalties, uh, which yeah, I don't I mean, know. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't the inability to make a critical save or anything. <laughs> Taking your foot off the gas when you're up. He's not my Calder Trophy winner, Stuart Skinner. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, we'll get into some of that uh, as the show goes longer. Fon Gaffar is going to join us. And after 5 o'clock, we'll have Don Taylor as well here on the program. But a large sentiment coming out after we spoke with Patrick Alvine yesterday. I and. Mean, the larger media spoke to him. We had the exclusive. If you haven't heard that yet, you can check it out on podcasts Some follow-ups and a little bit more tidbits to pry out of there, but not a ton because Patrick Alvine was, as you put it, cagey. Yes. When speaking to media yesterday. I'd say he was very cagey mm. with the media yesterday. And, you know, I went back and listened to his interview with us and he like, talked around a couple of questions right yes and didn't really answer directly and this isn't a criticism it's essentially just saying he decided not to give us a ton yeah and going back to the media press conference too and i watched a lot of it and we went through it and i just had the feeling and we mentioned that yesterday that i think we got to be careful with how much we take out of that press conference because he didn't really say much one way or another but he left himself open to pretty much anything so okay we look at the Canucks situation and we see that they don't have much cap to do anything this mm-hmm. summer. Yeah. They barely have enough to bring back Ethan Bear right. and some of the other RFAs. Is that sort of Alvin's posture here? Like everybody can see where we're at, what our hand is, and unless we move something out, I don't really have many tools to do anything. Mm-hmm with this roster. So until that changes, I'm not going to tip my hand as to what we want, what we'd like to do, anything at all. I'm keeping it close to the vest. Yeah, I think that's part of it. And maybe part of it too is we haven't heard from Rutherford for a little while now. And things have been a lot more quiet and we haven't heard from him. Because he's the one who's been a bit more revealing. And he even said the reason I have to take it back, step back, because I'm too honest. And hey, you probably want to hear from the president. Yeah, welcome to a day. Canadian media market. Exactly, right? But the point being, like, he he gave us a lot. And when we go back and listen, and we go back and refer to statements made by management that we've pointed to, it's usually been Rutherford statements that we've pointed yeah. to. Rutherford said we're trying to clear cap space. Rutherford said this about this player. Rutherford said this. It hasn't been too much about what Alvin said. No. But now we're not hearing from Rutherford as much. And all of a sudden, it's a lot more quiet. We're not getting quite as much in terms of what's being revealed. The most revealing thing was perhaps a couple of things, but one of them being saying our focus is making hockey trades. Was that an admission of the reality or was it being quote-unquote cagey? It's uh, a little bit of both. (laughs) And it probably, like, they... 
you know, they said that going back a ways now, you know, Rutherford talked about that. Mm -hmm. Where are the hockey trades coming from? You know, where is the one for one type of trade actually going to happen when it comes to Rutherford? I would have liked to see him there yesterday. I think if you're a president of hockey ops, you should be at the beginning of season availability Mm -hmm. and you should be there at the end of season availability. And if any changes are made, you should be there to answer those questions. You know, when there's a concern like the one with Tanner Pearson, that's something Jim Rutherford should have to deal with. He doesn't need to speak as much as he was speaking earlier in the year or Mm -hmm. earlier in his tenure. That was too much. But to not speak at all, now you're just on either side of the extremes. You should be landing somewhere in the middle. And a president of hockey ops for any team in the NHL should be there to speak at the end of season availability. Yeah. And, you know, he wasn't there. Yeah. And Alvin was the guy that's going to be answering the questions. And Alvin's never given us anything, really. Given us diddly squat. Yeah. I mean, the most revealing thing Alvin said to the media, and, you know, somebody's texting in and saying the reason management's cagey is because of media. You guys, you guys read into everything they say, you know, all that sort of stuff, which it's fair. Oh, go back and listen to our Jim Rutherford interview earlier this year. He just wanted to talk but about Bruce Boudreaux. It was nothing we did. My point being, the texture is not wrong. That's our job. Yes. Our job is to react to what you say put it into some sort of take or some sort of understanding or some sort of discussion. And that's what we're supposed to do. That's our job, right? What you give the media is your job. Yes. Right? And you got to be careful what you give. And me, I'm not even being critical for Alvin being cagey. Mm-hmm. To me, that's not a... That's, if I was a GM, I'd be cagey too. I wouldn't give anybody anything. I try to keep it very quiet. And I think... Now that we're seeing Rutherford not be as upfront, mm-hmm. we're not getting as many juicy quotes, right? We're not getting as much like indication of where the team is going or where they're not going, which I don't think is a bad thing for the team. So what does it mean, though, for the offseason? I know there's a few people uh, on this station, if you listened to Canucks talk earlier today, Jamie Dodd was taking it as, well, they're running it back. Expect mostly the same team going into next season. Um we talked about this yesterday when it comes to the defense and we asked Alvin yesterday, there's not likely going to be any changes to the defense given the amount of cap commitments you already have there. It's over 28 million yeah. already committed to next season's cap. And they added to it by adding Heronic. Yes. You know, you add it to your cap conundrum now in a good way. Cause you got a good defenseman. Yes. You're, you have no issues with you adding good money to the books for a guy that's good. But the point being still, you can't be looking at this team in next year and saying, we're banking on Akito Hirose to break camp. To me, if you're sitting here and saying, hey, Akito Hirose has a real chance of making this team, it's kind of in line with what the previous management would say about a guy like Hoaglander yeah. or a guy like Put Colson. This guy might play in our top six next year. It's like, well, hey, let's let's take it easy here. you yeah. know. And now you're moving away from the over-seasoning prospects and making sure they go through the proper development paths. Which I think is what they're going to do. Yeah. Which I think has been everything they've shown us so far. That's what they've put on paper. Exactly. So when when he says we're not doing much with the defense and talks about some of these guys and even Hirose having a chance, I don't think he's wrong in terms of those are players they're going to be leaning on and they're going to provide good depth and they'll fight hard in training camp and create, you know, organizational battles, great as recall options. But that that to me is a bit of a hope play. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about being a process oriented person, which yeah. Alvin speaks about 
that's not a process-oriented move if you're hoping a young guy can just be an everyday player for you next season. He showed really well at the end of this year. Absolutely. But you can't be sitting here saying, we're trying to be a playoff team next year, and he's the guy we're going to lean on. He can have a door open for him for competition. Yeah. So it goes back to me being, to me thinking, everything Alvin said yesterday, we have to take with a grain of salt. I can't imagine they're going to head into next season not adding another blue liner. Now, it may not be a big player like we talked about yesterday, but you got to get a veteran in there who knows how to defend at least decently. It can help you on the PK. They need that person. You can't tell me that the plan next year is put OEL as your top penalty-killing left-hand defenseman again next year. You can't have that as your plan. So right now, let's look at the depth chart on the left side. Quinn Hughes, Oliver ekman Larson, Akito Hirose, Guillaume Brisebois, Christian Wolanin. Like, that's kind of the credible left shot D that could play games for you as early as next year at the NHL level. Mm-hmm. And Bolanin just won out standing AHL defenseman of the year. But we saw how Rick Tockett used him. It was in a very sheltered role at the top level. Yeah. And he's not a guy that profiles to be able to play penalty kill minutes for you, at least not big ones. Yeah, and as much as Akito Hirose has a lot of promise, and I love the kid and his potential. Like, you know, we're big fans here on this show about him. But are you banking on a kid who's 170 pounds next year to be one of your ace penalty killers? Mm-hmm. And, and withstand an 82-game season? I think it's asking too much. And again, I don't think that's realistic. I don't think that's something they're actually looking to do. So, and, and I see the reaction on the text inbox. This isn't so much a, a, a criticism at, at management for not saying what they're saying. It's more about, we got to be careful what we read out of it. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't apply with a lot of their logic and a lot of the things they've done so far. It's, uh, like, he, Hirose is 24. Mm-hmm. So, you're not, like, if you do think the player has something sat, you want him to have the opportunity to make the roster at some point. At some point, yes. But you still need a short-term plan because having him penciled into your third pair left shot D spot isn't really a plan that screams we're making the playoffs next year. Yeah. Especially with all of the cloud that's over Oliver ekman Larson going into next year as well. Well, yeah, and, and not only that, but also Tyler Myers. Yeah. You know, Myers is at least the way uh, Alvin made it seem that he's probably coming back next year, but I wouldn't assume any of this. Again, I, I'd be careful with assuming guys are coming back just based on what Alvin said and how he, even how he framed uh, um, answers on Hoaglander mm-hmm. and Rathbone. Yeah, he said, I believe in these players. I didn't say necessarily that it's going to be here. He said they could fit, but I, I'd be careful with that, right? But I look at it and I say, well, Myers clearly can't handle the load of being the top PK guy. Yeah. So he's all of a sudden going to be your second PK guy if he's here. That means Hronik moves up. Who's your lefty number one PK guy? It can't OEL. be OEL. It can't I be mean, Hughes. Right now it is OEL. Right. But it shouldn't be if you want to be successful. It's been proven not to be. He's yeah. not, that's, not his, that's not a role suitable for him. So you're saying that's going to be what you're looking at for Hirose? Mm-hmm. So Hirose is the guy you think is going to be your number one left-hand penalty killer as a rookie next year, essentially. That's not a plan. Like Maybe that's what they're thinking. I don't think that's what they're thinking because I don't think that's something that makes sense. You know, like It makes sense if you believe in a player mm-hmm. to some degree. But how is that different from everything we've heard in the past about not rushing guys, not assuming, letting guys develop? And don't you want to have organizational depth? And don't you want to have a hero saying the minors play a few games start next season or whatever? And when something happens, he can come up and play for you. Yeah. There's 
there's not much you can do here to tip your hand. And I think they're probably, you know, want to keep as much leverage as possible in the situation, given they know they don't have cap space. Why tip your hand towards what your wants are, what your priorities are for the offseason if you don't have to? Pretty much the only thing we know they view as a priority right now, Sat, going into the offseason is third line center. Because they don't have one. Yeah. It's literally a you can You can... I don't want to say BS us, but you can create an argument for yourself and say, well, we have these guys. Dermot's an RFA even. He may come back and we'll see if he gets healthy. Does he fight for a spot there? You have Hirose. You have Guillaume Brisebois. Juleson's RFA. He gets extended probably. Mm -hmm. Probably bringing Burroughs back. You have Willannon. You have a lot of players, right? You can yeah. sit here and say, hey, we have all these guys. They're going to fight, fight, uh, vie for spots and one of these guys is going to take it. Who are you credibly looking at as a as third line center option next season? It's not Sheldon Dries. No. Neil's almost not ready for that yet. No. And even if he was ready for it, you don't have a fourth line center. You're still down a center. Yep. And again, if you're heading to next season saying, we think Hirose is going to be a top penalty killer on the left side, and we're banking on Niels Olman to be our play-driving third-line center who's a top PKer and is going to win 50% of our face-offs, that's a hope and a prayer. Yeah. That's not planning. That's hope being your plan. <laughs> and I don't buy it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying I don't I don't buy that being their plan because that's, that's, that's just hoping for something to happen. Well, for a management group that has made it so clear that they want to go to the playoffs next year, why would that be their plan? Right. Right? So you can look at free agency. Sure, there's some players there. Uh, Ryan Graves. You got uh, Gavrikov. You know, maybe they try to swindle Brian Dumoulin here, who's an unrestricted free agent Honestly, from Pittsburgh. And, and, and I'm not even saying go and sign Gavrikov. To your point, like, is a Dumoulin coming in? Yeah. Is a guy who is going to make a two million, maybe million and a half that can at least play on the PK, give you a little bit of something, like at least meet a specific role for you, right? Yeah. They've got to find something there. And sure, you can talk about bringing back OEL as much as you want, but you're going to have to do something in the case of OEL comes back and doesn't bounce back. Exactly. And the other thing is, like, how can you expect OEL to be a better version of himself if you're asking him to do the things he's not capable of doing? Yes. You're asking him to be that to be his main role defensive guy, main matchup guy, main peak. That's never who's been. Mm -hmm. And you're asking a guy to be something he's not consistently, it doesn't work. Like I don't think that's that's a that's a good long-term plan or even for next season for that for that to fall into place. And and Amar makes a point on Twitter says Akito can be useful. He hits the gym hard. He can be on the main roster. There's a difference between making the team, playing a third pair role and kind of growing and with the Canucks addressing a huge issue yeah. that they don't have a solution for. They don't have a number one PKer on no. the left side. They don't have a third line center. And if you get guys in and they're not necessarily great, well, what it can do is allow things to slot in more naturally. Because by virtue of not needing to have OEL play the heavy PK low, not only are you better on the PK, you save OEL to do things that he's better at, which provides overall better value to your team. Yeah. By not playing JT and Pedersen tons of minutes, having guys at least decent defensively, all of a sudden their minutes are reduced. Now you can use them even more favorably in, in matchups when you want to. You give them more offensive zone starts, for mm -hmm. instance. You're allowed to create more value for your better players just by having some guys who can hold their own in specific roles. The Canucks don't have enough of that. Yeah. So it may seem like a small thing, but to me it's a huge thing because not only does it make you a bit better in something you're bad at, it allows your better players to keep doing the things you're good at. And that should make your team better. That's ultimately where they're 
trying to get to. And when when you look at when you look at where this roster needs help, that spot, third line center, and what's the other thing that Rick Tockett has mentioned? We want more four checkers. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of the three things that they really need to look at. And the point of this conversation going through it all is Essentially, how much do we believe this idea that they're not going to do a ton, that they're banking on internal improvements, that they're banking on the coach bump continuing into next year, that guys like Besser Garland, all those types are going to come back and be even better next year. And it may happen. It's one of the outcomes, potential outcomes, but it's still an unlikely outcome because they have essentially told us in ways, different ways, that they're not in love with these players. That there is really only two guys on this roster that they're probably not trading. Everybody else has got a price. Yeah. Basically, like, you know, Patrick Alvine is Ted DiBiase in this scenario, and he's just like, <laughs> everybody's got, got a, a price. price. Well, and, and, you know? and he said that. He's essentially said that about everybody. Yeah. You know, so even as much as we talk about the JT thing, and, and that's the other thing, like, he was given a chance to say JT's not getting traded, and he didn't do it. Didn't do it. But he's also never said – he's always kind of left the door open for any player. He doesn't live in absolutes, no, Patrick Alvin. he doesn't. <laughs> and honestly, I think he's a lot more cold in terms of moving guys than a lot of fans are. Like, I don't think – like, I think it's like – it's very um, – He's not really attached to any of these players. No, not at all. And I think it, it really just comes down to overall value. That's how mm-hmm. he looks at the guys. I think he just evaluates them like that. It's nothing to do with any sort of emotion to it. Yeah. Which – which I think is a good thing overall. It's probably, uh, you know, it's similar to a lot of teams. They have their four or five guys, and everybody else is extra. Yeah. And for this team, it's not four or five guys. It's really just Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, and maybe Thatcher Demko. Final one here on the stuff that he said that we should maybe be careful with. And okay. we kind of joked about this on uh, before we got on air. He said, I'm not intending to use a buyout. Not intending to use a bio does leave the door open. I'm not intending to go to bed late tonight. (laughs) But I mean, if the playoff games keep going. Yeah. I'm not intending to play a full 18 after I go to the driving range. (laughs) But it just might happen. It might just happen. Well, I'm not intending to have an extra one. Yes. After the first one. But it might happen. It might happen. The idea of that, though. I'm not intending to buy anybody out. Is there a situation where they're hoping we can make a trade, hoping we can move some cap somewhere, whether that's Myers, Garland, Besser, whomever. Mm -hmm. And in the event that they are unable to move one of those contracts around the time the buyout windows open, is that when you have to make a difficult decision? Potentially. Um, Now, does it also depend... Again, like if you're not buying out OEL, who are you buying out? And if OEL is off, and hey, sure, they leave the door open for buyouts. Yeah. But with OEL, they're clearly not buying him out. I think that's pretty evident based on everything they said about him. It's too expensive. Yeah. So who else has a credible buyout option for this team? The Don't one tell people, me Garland. Yeah, that's the one people keep coming back to because it's uh, still a one-third buyout. Other than that, there's not really anybody you would consider. Besser doesn't make a ton of sense. Uh, Myers makes less than zero sense because you would save more money on the cap by just burying him in the minors. And as we talked about yesterday with Frank Saravalli, if you just wait 
on Tyler Myers. You'll probably be able to trade him should you really want to. Yeah. Um, there's just not a lot of buyout candidates. There's not ones that really open up a great world of cap space outside of Oliver Ekman Larson. Yeah, and even the Garland one. So it so it gives you a lot of cap space these next two years. Four point two million yeah. in cap space essentially, or four point one roughly. And then you have three years of, of 1.9 on the books after that. Yeah. So it gives you flexibility for two years. You get something on the books afterwards. I don't love that. No. I mean, you, you can't trade Garland and retain salary at 2.5 for two years, three yeah. years at least, or some of it. Well, trade Beauvillier then. You know, well, that's why he's I don't only think... got he's only got a year left on his deal. Like, there's a lot more teams that would be open to taking an expiring contract than one that still has term on it. Well, I think one of those guys is certainly gone. Yeah, I think. Well, Besser one, it's becoming clear that's more difficult unless somebody has a change of heart when mm-hmm. it comes to him this offseason. It makes a big push to go and get him. Maybe that happens. Unless that happens, he's most likely coming back. Something changes. Somebody says, you know what? Let's take a gamble on him. Otherwise, I think it's... I, I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I don't think you're going to see anything else outside of that. Sorry, I uh, I made a mistake on the Garland one. It is not a one third buyout. It is a two thirds buyout. It the reason the yeah. reason it's not onerous is because he had no signing bonus money on his contract. Yeah. So this is this is where you see the benefit of being able to buy out a contract doesn't have a ton of signing bonus next to it and stuff. So you get it out a little bit cheaper. And the AAV, um, the bigger years are a couple down years down the road, so it allows it to work out a little bit better in terms of the cap hit. But I don't like the idea of buying out Connor Garland. You should be able to move Garland. You should be able to move Bavillier for something. Yes. Or, so I think if you're moving one of Bavillier, if you can move Bavillier, mm-hmm. that gives you some freedom. If you can move Garland for a third line center. Yeah. That gives you some freedom. I mean, Garland, I, I could see Garland being a more likely candidate for a hockey trade, right? Because teams do see him as a, a middle six winger and there are probably some teams that would view him as a decent fit on their roster, yeah. more so than where the Canucks are right now. And I look at Garland and I wonder, you know, is there a player out there that you can move uh, for Garland and get something of value, get a guy that at least profiles to be able to play bottom six center minutes uh, for this roster next year? Why don't you walk into my office so I can show you a candidate or two? Okay. All right. Did you watch the Dallas? Who do we have on the list? Did you watch the Dallas Stars game last night? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. What do you think of uh, one Radic Faxa? So Radic Faxa. I'm a big Faxa guy. It's it's not a sexy name. I'll <laughs> say that much. It's not, but very good defensive centerman. Big six three can be physical, and he's played. His minutes have gone down this year. He's playing 13 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. Good on the PK. Makes, you know, it's probably too much money, 3.2 for a guy that scores 20-some, you know, plays yeah. 13 minutes, glorified fourth-line center. But on this team, I mean, what I'm saying is what, what do you need? They need somebody that can play defensively, be on your PK, win draws, and provide something for you. He can yeah. do those things. Yeah. I mean, I, I would make a deal like that in a heartbeat. Faxa is not as good a player as Garland. Absolutely not. But guess what he does? He does things that Garland doesn't do for you. Yeah. You don't have, like, Garland's uh, Garland is a luxury piece on this team. He is, and um, if if that were to end up being a scenario that does play out, one, that's why we call him Satstradamus, and two, uh, 
We would have to have a radio segment called FAXA only. Fac- oh, FAXA only. <laughs> I like that. Although we're getting suggestions that maybe uh, I'm not intending should be a new segment. Oh, I'm that's not intending? That's a good text on that, actually. That might actually be a really good... <laughs> that's good. Like this one here, a uh, real good text says, uh, gee, I wonder why Jim Rutherford doesn't speak anymore. By the way, I'm not intending to put the blame on the media. <laughs> But once I go through it, yes. maybe the blame is on the media. Uh, the the one player I want the Canucks to trade for somehow, some way to play center for them, Rasmus Kapari. I mean, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, there are a lot of guys like that. Yeah, right? like I don't think you're getting a Kapari for a Garland. Yeah, I know. And and this goes back. That's to, my pipe dream. Yeah, that's my pipe dream scenario. But if you can do that, like, hey, hey what if you do? You probably not because they need the cap space. But like, but what, I mean, they're already loaded do, through the middle, right? Well, could you do something like this, for instance? Could you trade? Um, a Garland mm-hmm. with whether it's Rathbone, whether it's Hoaglander, one of those guys or whoever, and then get a really good player back in return or a younger player. Like, how do you get creative? And that's where the hockey deal stuff comes in, too, yeah. right? Um, but that's uh, that's a player on my wish list if there is one. I know, not a likely one, but I'm just a Rasmus Kapari fan. That's good. New segment Facts of Life. <laughs> <laughs> All right, coming up, Irfan Gaffar joins us on Canuck Central. Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. Kintech footwear and orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 Five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Um, great night of Stanley Cup playoffs last night. Uh, Devils having a bit of a uh, welcome to the Stanley Cup playoffs moment. They're mm-hmm. down 2 nothing to the Rangers midway through the first. And I guess one of the big talking points out of last night's at was uh, the Dumba hit. Did you think it was dirty on Joe Pavelski? Uh, no. Are we just used to not seeing guys yeah. getting blown up anymore? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what it is. I mean, it was a fraction late, maybe. It was such a bang-bang play. Yeah. And, man, I hate to sound like keep your head up guy, <laughs> but kind of keep your head up at the same time. Yeah. You know, I know you're behind the goal line, but I don't know. I, I felt bad for Pavelski, obviously. Yeah. I don't know if it should be any supplemental discipline. I could see like a penalty for, you know, interference slightly mm-hmm. later, or slightly because it was slight. I, I'm, I'm okay with that. Protect the player. I don't know if that should be suspendable. It's uh, it's a tough one, but I'm kind of on team. Keep your head up in this one. Um, never like to see a player like that go down so yeah. early in a series because it does affect it. But uh, that's a pretty big and a good hit from Matt Dumba for me. Let's bring in our next guest. It is uh, Irfan Gaffar. Fourth period, Canucks insider. What did you think of the hit? I think I kind of agree with you guys. Keep your head up. But it's also at the point where we're so used to a big hit happening and then the immediate reaction was, oh, my God, it was dirty. It was predatory or it's going to be looked at or it's a suspension. Yeah. This one maybe teetered it a little bit. But if you slowed it down and looked at it, like, okay, tad late, but he didn't hit him in the head. Nope. I mean, he was trying to, he was obviously trying to hit him and make an impact and, you know, get his team going a little bit. But um, remember Victor Cronwall used to kill guys across the middle and and stuff like that. Like how many of those hits would get reviewed? And, and, you know, going back to going back even further than that, like some of these hits now um, 
are really not that big compared to what happened before. And when you see them happen, our automatic reaction goes to, all right, well, is this guy going to get suspended? Is it a major? Is he getting tossed? What, what, what the difference is? So yeah. the NHL's changed, obviously, and I get it. It's to protect the player and, and things like that. But, I mean, put the whistles away a little bit in the playoffs, no? Yeah. Uh, the, the Scott Stevens ones were, were probably oh, the, those, yeah. those were the worst ones. Those were the ones that we would, like, praise, and you look back at them now, it's like, oof. <laughs> That's well, clear elbow on head. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but uh, those uh, different times, different times. Uh, all right, uh, let's get it on the Canucks. Uh, end of season avails. We heard from Patrick Alvine yesterday, a very uh, cagey Patrick Alvine, as we've described him on the show. He just uh, he doesn't doesn't give us a ton to chew on, does he? No, I don't think he wants to either. Yeah, yeah. right. I, I, the answer about Brock and he's got to get into season shape and and, and things like that. And okay, not wanting to use a buyout. I don't think he was really lying there to be completely honest um and then sad i know you and i talked about obviously the 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 defense a little bit and and what they're going to do there but you know you're gonna get what you're gonna get i i, I don't think that you know patrick alvey's gonna come out and give everyone all his secrets or everything what or everything that they're talking about yeah. buying cold doors of how to improve this hockey team because they still got to figure it out too so um yeah if you wanted someone to come out and be really, really, really candid, it wasn't going to happen yesterday. No, and I think, you know, we haven't heard from Jim Rutherford for the last little bit here, and I think that's also kind of quieted things down because, you know, to his own admission, he can be too honest, and I think that also added fuel to the fire. So him not being... Forefront, you know, in the forefront here has also not giving us as much to kind of dig into, which I think is by design, at least for the time being. We'll see ultimately how that all goes. But Okay, go I, on. I okay. agree, but... Uh... Like, do we really have to hear from Rutherford? He's, well, he's the president of hockey ops. He's, he's not the general manager. No, I understand. I, I think, honestly... But I, I, I just know he spoke before, and I get that's why people want it. But, like, how many times does Brendan Shanahan speak to the media? Well, I think he speaks the beginning and the end of the season, right? Like, you do your start of the season avail, and then you do the end of the season avail. I think those are the only two times you really know. expect to see hear a guy. But, hey, listen, I'm not even pushing the train too much. I get the frustration. But me, the biggest thing I'm wondering about here, Earth, though, is... Are they really going to bring back everybody on the blue line? Because I don't buy it. No, I don't buy it either. I mean, the the one difficult one is OEL. I, I don't. I think they're handcuffed there. They're not going to be able to do anything there. Myers interests me. Um, I know that Patrick Alvin mentioned, you know, Jet Wu is as is, is depth, but yes, he's depth in Abbotsford. I, I, I don't think it's depth here at the NHL level, to be completely honest. I think Rathbone, you know, might get a decent shot next season. Uh, Rose is probably going to get a pretty good shot. Um, just with, by the way that he's played uh, to finish off this season. And if he goes and takes care of himself in summer, maybe puts on a little bit more weight and comes comes to camp ready to go. Um, but you have to address it, right? It's, it's the elephant in the room that everyone talks about every single time we talk about the Canucks. It's the defense. It's the blue line. It's how are they going to improve it? So uh, I can't see a situation where that, that blue line comes back as constructed um, by the time training camp starts next season. I just... Given the situation, I don't know how they make how, it. Right? I don't yeah. know how they make it unless they trade Myers. I don't know how they make an addition back there. Because you trade someone else, well, you trade a forward. Yeah, but you're not the only guys with money back there. Are you know Hughes, um, obviously Hronik, OEL, and Myers. Like they already have twenty eight million dollars committed to the defense for next year. That's without Ethan Bear signed. So you're looking you at spending like you know 
th- over $30 million. There's like only a handful of teams that spend that much. And I bet you most of those teams actually have a good decor. <laughs> That's true. Well, as they show Luke Shen on TV, it's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, no, I, I look, I, I agree, but I just, I don't see a situation where you can hope to go on a playoff, a deep playoff run yeah. or try and make the postseason with that defense as, as it is. I, I just don't think you can. And I think they know that um, it's going to be difficult. Absolutely. It's going to be very, very hard to, to, to make some of those moves, but um, you're going to have to try. Um, the, the off season is going to be very, very interesting Free agency. Obviously probably not going to be that crazy busy. The free agent market here or the free agent market in itself isn't very, very good. So time to get creative. It's time to, you know, maybe, maybe they're uh, a three team type of deal or something like that in order to make things work. But, um, I just, I don't know that how you can go into next season thinking that you can really, really, really compete with the way that blue line is right now. So then I guess the idea could be when you are able to move a Bavillier or Garland or Besser, maybe use that money to add on D because you know, yeah. they, they do have some younger players like maybe Hoaglander or Pod Colson. One of the Kravtsov steps up and is able to fill a role in your top nine on the wing next year. And then you use that available money to go out and maybe add somebody in free agency. Yeah. Or just, you know, it, it's tough, but you know, your, your European scouts, your, your free agent scouts, your, 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 North, your college scouts, you know, it's about finding those guys that are, you know, the diamond in the rough. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's tough. You know, they, you found Chris Tanev, right? At some point, it was a long, long time ago. Um, but you, you have to be able to go out and do that. And what, whether it's, you know, eight guys that are playing in the AHL right now that, that, that you hope that can make that next step or on other teams, or, or guys that have only played one year that are somewhere around in the National Hockey League, you, you go and you, and you try and make these moves to, to go and do it. And I think that that's right, really the only thing that they can do other than get creative and, and, and try and make trades. Yeah, and I mean, the, the player that's been talked about the most trade-wise has been JT Miller, of course. And to, to Alvin's credit, like I don't think Alvin lied about anything, and that's why I like to use the word cagey, because I think he was just you know not going to give us too much, and what he gave us was probably the truth, but not in the context, perhaps, in, the, in which the question was asked to kind of protect himself. But I think it was telling that he wasn't willing to say, I'm not trading JT Miller. And not to yeah. say that he's going to trade him, but I think that goes with the overall philosophy here that we're open to just about anything if the offer is good enough. We will listen. Yeah. And that's your job. If someone calls you, not saying the Canucks are going to go and actively say, or, or, or Patrick Alvin's not making phone calls to 31 other GMs saying, hey, um, JT's on the block. What, what can you give us for him? I, I just don't think that that's what, that's what their approach is going to be. I think their approach is going to be, okay, these are, these are our assets. These are who we have. Um, these are who we deem as untouchable on this roster, but everyone else, if you have an offer, we're going to listen to it. And I think that that's, that's the way that they need to go about their business. Now, look, his new contract kicks in on July 1st, and there's a lot of things um, they're going to have to take it. The other teams are going to have to take into consideration when trading for JT Miller, the money, the term, and the signing bonuses in, in, in the first few years of that contract are, are pretty, pretty significant. So, if a team's willing to do it, that means that team really, really, really wants a guy like JT. But at the same time, how do you replace a guy like JT? He's probably their second, if not third best forward on this hockey team right now. And that's, that, that's a tough person to replace um, for, for any team, really. I guess the question is, which version of JT Miller are they getting next year? First half of the season, JT, or uh, final 30 games, JT? 
I mean, if he can mix those both, if he can mix the second half twice and kind of figure it out, then, yeah. then, it'll, then it'll be great. But to his credit, no one was good in the first half of the season this year. So no, and 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 we've learned a little bit more about uh, how the Canucks feel about JT because. You know, there was so much being reported there around the deadline and who was making the calls and all these different types of things. But when Elliot mentioned that the Canucks wanted two first-round picks uh, plus for JT in his little 32 Thoughts blog uh, earlier this week, that kind of tells you the Canucks weren't really shopping them. It's like, no. here's our price. If you're going to meet it and find a way to make it work, then sure. Yeah. But otherwise, this is not happening. No, I agree. I mean, look, the asking price is going to be big for their star players. I just think that's what it is. But I think the Canucks know, and they're not they are not that naive. They know that how good he is and how much he means to this team. Yeah. Um, and replacing a guy like JT Miller is going to be very, very difficult. I want to give you three names. Who's not back next year? Bavillier, Besser, Garland. Garland, yeah. I think. Yeah. Is he, uh, is he the I easiest that, one to I move? Think, oh, probably, yeah. I, I think they like what they have in Bavillier. Um, and I think that the Brock, the, it's just the money. And what? if the Canucks aren't willing to retain salary on it, um, how are really, how are you going to like Brock Besser at 6.6? That's a big ticket, right? Brock Besser at 5 million. Okay. A yeah. team probably says, okay, you know what? Maybe, maybe we can, maybe we can make this work. Yeah. And you know, what I kind of wonder about that is, um, if you're moving Garland, like you rather move Garland because it clears up, you know, two years beyond next season in cap space. And yeah. Bavillier, at the very least, will be a free agent after next year. Because I think what you were looking to do is not only creating some flexibility this year, but also you want to have some more money off the books coming up for 2024 offseason. Because you're paying Heronic, you're paying Pedersen most likely, right? Those guys are getting a big contracts, and you're looking to improve yeah. your team. And if you can clear a little bit of money from that year, that's why I think the Garland one's important. Because Besser are two more years, but I think if you get rid of the Garland one, that all of a sudden creates an extra $5 million in space, plus the caps going up in 2024. That can be super interesting. I think that's something to to look at. But isn't more likely that if they're making that deal, it's for another player back in return, like a center or a defenseman or something? Instead of yeah, just you the probably money. would. You you definitely would want something back, right? In, in return, like they're not in the position where they want to blow it up and not try and compete here, right? You know, the Connor Bedard sweepstakes is gone. You know, I, I know. Um, you know, Macklin Celebrini is a big shiny toy as well, but I don't think that they can set their sights on the first overall pick. We haven't even started. We haven't even finished this season yeah. yet. To be completely honest, right? So. Um, if you're the Vancouver Canucks, it is about improving. It's about trying to build a team to to go in and and, and take that next step. And um, you're gonna you're gonna if if you're moving a guy like Garland or maybe even Beauvillier, um, I think you're gonna want something in return. Whereas Besser, it's probably a little bit more of just getting rid of that salary. It felt like there was uh, at least a level of confidence that they're going to be able to get Patterson done this summer. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I've said before on this show, I don't think it's going to take long. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think both both team and and player know term and then understand kind of what it's going, what the structure of the, what the actual premise of the deal is going to look like, the framework. But how the deal is structured, that's that's a little bit of a different story. And I know we talked about it last week as well. So once they get to talking, I, I'm sure it won't take too too long for them to figure it out. Like. What what are we starting at? I, I know someone mentioned Barzell. It's going to be way above that. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, like I, I think it's ten and a half just to start. Can they get it under eleven? Right? I think so. 
He's, well, that's what the structure of the deal is crazy, yeah. right? So if, you, if, you get it, if you're getting it under 11 and it's like, okay, well, I want $30 million in signing bonus money in my first three years. Yeah. Right? So is it is something that that's what Pedersen Camp's going to look for? And is, are the Canucks willing to do that? Well, they gave JT something like um, 24, 24 right? million in guarantee yeah, in the first, in, in in the first three or four. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think the it was kind of set there. Yeah, $26.25 million. So half the contract for JT Miller nearly yeah. is signing bonus money. So I, I think that's the bare minimum for Pedersen. He may want closer to half his contract and signing bonus money. Yeah, exactly. So between eighty five and eighty eight million or ninety million on the high end? Total money. Ninety million high end. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting though. So structure matters in such a big way. So the contract people point to is the David Pasternak contract. Yeah. His signing bonus for his contract, ninety million total AAV value. A total value eleven point two five million is only twenty six and a half million in signing bonus money. Hmm. Yeah. Not only it's still a lot of money, but <laughs> it's the same amount of money, money yeah. that JT's getting, and JT's getting fifty six million, not ninety million. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's, it's just I think I think it's up to the organization. Yeah. It, it's up to the player. I think the Pasternak one was a little bit different. You know, he he knew the money was going to come, and and I think the situation there in Boston's a little bit different. Um, whereas here, um, I don't really I don't really know the situation here yet. So you might have to entice someone a little bit more of wanting to stay with just juicing up that, that signing bonus money. Uh, one thing we didn't hear uh, from Alvin and Rutherford, I mean, Alvin from yesterday was anything to do with the coaching staff beyond the head coach and, you know, Gonchar and foot. Like we'll see, you know, are any of the staff coming back or not coming back based on their contracts coaching wise with the amount of openings management wise around the league? Does that have, have any impact on any other management personnel too? Like, can we, do you expect to see any changes here for the organization off the ice, whether it's behind the bench or in management with a lot of the openings out there? Yeah. I mean, look, there's, there's a ton of openings out there right now. Um, I believe Emily Castonguay interviewed for the president of the Philadelphia Flyers role, uh, whether that was today or yesterday. I think she did have an interview or at least went through some interview process there with the Flyers. So there's an interest obviously around. I'm not entirely sure if, if um, Cammy Granato does have one, um, an interview there, but uh, I definitely did hear her name uh, coming around as well for some, for some vacant jobs. So it, it's going to be interesting. Look, teams want to um, – obviously improve and i think that emily's done a very good job here in vancouver um i think the canucks obviously have had, would have had to give permission to the flyers to to speak uh, with emily which i'm pretty sure they did which is why the interview happened so it, it's an interesting one because you know you, you want to keep some of your staff especially the good ones but it looks it looks really really good on you if they elevate themselves to a different role, especially with a different organization. And with everything that Philadelphia is going through, they're in complete rebuild, rebuild teardown mode and kind of building that thing from the bottom up. I think it's a pretty unique position um, there as well. As far as the coaching staff goes, um, I'm just interested to know what's going to happen with Mike Yo and, 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 and Jason King, right? Because you know that Gonchar and, and, and Foot are obviously going to be back. Yeah. That's Rick, who Rick Talkett's with. So, is Jason King's the one I'm interested in, and and, and if or does Mike Yo want a shot? There, there's a head coach job in Anaheim that's available, right? Is is he going to put his resume in there? I mean, depending on what happens in Calgary, if they decide to keep Daryl Sutter or not, you know, there's another head coaching job there that that could potentially be open. So, um, I wonder if Yo wants to wants to put his name in the mix, 
and uh, kind of the future of, of, of Jason King is still, I, I think, might be a little bit up in the air as well. Uh, Irf, we appreciate the time as always. Uh, don't go flipping golf carts like our old pal Russ, okay? <laughs> no. <laughs> Ride with caution. Ride with caution. No, not at all. So shot one nothing Tampa. Yeah. Yeah, the Leafs. Leafs, baby. Oh, what would be worse? What market? Okay. What would be worse? The Leafs out in the first round or the Oilers losing whenever they lose? Oh. Uh, I mean, Leafs depends on who you're the asking. Round. Depends on who you're asking about. Well, I'm asking you two because I'm talking to you two right now. <laughs> Are you asking us or the company? Because I think if you're asking the company. <laughs> okay, fair. Very fair. They want them both to go very far for the fan base. Yeah. Yes. And also just uh, cash money, baby. <laughs> there you go. Get those ratings. Yeah. Uh, Irf, you're the best. Thanks for this. Didn't even answer the question. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Leafs. It's the Leafs. Uh, but that was interesting from Irf. I mean, there is some, there is some buzz because of the Flyers opening that they're casting a pretty wide net and it's a diverse net they're casting and talking to a bunch of different people and made me wonder yeah. about Vancouver. And uh, there are some suggestions, and like Irf mentioned, that perhaps uh, Gay Granado may be or may have interviewed for the vacant and may vacant management position potentially president-wise with the Flyers. And it kind of tracks with how a lot of these new front offices are getting built. They are more diverse. You saw the Canucks with how they put their front office together and also with some other teams. So, you know, we'll see ultimately what comes of it. But it's it tracks with how a lot of new front offices are trying to build. Like, don't be surprised to see in Pittsburgh them take a similar tact with the people they speak with. I do know uh, Emily... You know, even just when she came in here and, you know, you started to, well, I started to ask around about her a little bit and, you know, she did have a really strong reputation of where she was headed in the mm-hmm. hockey world. So not too surprised that there is uh, still interest around her uh, and uh, Earth saying that uh, she had been interviewed for the Flyers president of hockey ops role. So that's something to keep an eye on for the Vancouver Canucks current AGM, Emily Castongay. Stan Richo and Satyar Shah. We're going to get in on some of the playoff conversation and dip in on the Leafs lightning a little bit. Also the New Jersey Devils and New York Rangers. It is currently 2-0 for the Tampa Bay Lightning not even at the midway point of the first period over the Maple Leafs. Tough. Well, yeah. didn't the Leafs win 5 nothing game one last year? So, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's going to be a long series. <laughs> a long game one, the way it's going. Yes, sure. might be a long game one, at least uh, for those in Toronto today. Uh, it is Canuck Central.